This is Game Theory, a podcast about competition, strategy, and decision-making, hosted by me, Nick Andrews, and my brother, Chris. In this episode, how content analysis leads us astray. A few years back, TripAdvisor found itself at the center of an enormous and offensive scandal surrounding a listicle. The topic of the list? The best barbecue cities in the U.S. The list lit the internet on fire. And while most food-related opinions are sure to start some argument, this one appeared objectively incorrect, as much for which cities made the list as for which ones were left off. But the company that put the list together, a food content brand called Chef's Table, reportedly used data analytics to create a list of the best barbecue cities. That ranked Seattle and Newark, New Jersey higher than Memphis and Kansas City, which were both omitted entirely. How could data show that to be true? Chef's Table used a process that analyzed reviews to create the list, but didn't analyze the content of the reviews. The process hits at the center of the intersection between qualitative and quantitative data. It calls into question the abilities of language processing artificial intelligence tools like ChatGPT, and it shows that not every piece of information can simply be turned into an objective datum. In this episode, we're joined by Chris's partner, Callie Alessi, an expert in the topic of user experience, to discuss the disaster of a list and how we can avoid it. And welcome to episode 79 of Game Theory, podcast about competition strategy and decision making. And we have a guest today. We're going to introduce the guest more properly here in a moment. Um, a couple of announcements. Book club's still going strong. Chris has thoughts on things. Join us on Fable uh, to hear Chris's thoughts. Um, seems like we've struck a nerve. A little, I would well, say. Well, you know, I think there's a, the, the modern conceit of the contemporary reader is that we are born in the later year, and so we know more things, and we're better off. Huh. And I, th- I just don't think that's true. I think secular humanism uh, still is on trial, and I don't think giving it a free pass because a, an award-winning author wrote a book about it is justifiable, so we got to challenge it. Um, I will say, and I mentioned this in the Fable app, I will say this as clearly as I possibly can. There is a passage that I heard on Audible that I will be clipping and will become a regular part of the show that was part of a letter from one of the humanist nerds to Poggio, our protagonist, um, discussing a fight and saying how he could have beat him up and what they did to each other. I'm just, that's a little tease. It's going to be in the show uh, soon. I'm going to be able to hit the sound. And it was the most amazing thing I've ever heard. Every single man on earth in human history thinks that if it came down to it, he could kick someone's ass if he needed to. That's right. Like there's some set of circumstances out there where like if it, you know, push comes to shove, then I know I can win a fight. Everyone, everyone thinks that. Do I not think that? Yes, but also there was this thing going around Twitter earlier, which was like. I can land a plane. Do you think you could land a plane? 100%. No question. Yeah. All men do. Yeah. All men think that they could land a plane. And not like, so, so the circumstances is not like. Oh, could you just like land a plane in a vacuum? No, it's like the pilot has somehow died and the whole plane is relying on you to be able to land it. Do you think you could 
talk through or have them talk you through how to do so from the tower and you think you could like save everyone's lives on board the plane and basically all men think that they can do it to be fair my toxic trait is i also think i could land the plane yeah the, the problem is not could a man land the plane it is who gets to land the plane of all of the passengers yeah. <laughs> truly but uh we're, we're getting ahead Let's, of ourselves yes, we, here yeah, who that voice we heard who is it chris it's, honestly this is your responsibility this. it's not mine yes this is the greatest guest we've ever had on the show with all due respect to your alleged wife. We're here with Callie, my esteemed colleague and roommate, <laughs> who is an expert on the topic that we're going to be talking about today more substantively. And I would also add that she's an expert on sociocultural issues, such as what's happening in Vanderpump Rules. So all mm. the times we talk about that and all the sister wives and all that right, kind right, of right, stuff, right. 100% of that is coming from Callie. And it's a real honor and a privilege to serve alongside her in this capacity. Yeah, so you're a fiancé, um, and she is an expert in a number of things that we're going to be discussing today. Content analysis. So, Callie, welcome. I'm sure, like my wife, you've listened to every second of every show. I can't get enough. Right. Yeah, my they're, wife. they're constantly podcast playing in our household. And, no, uh, no. No. Um, my <laughs> wife is in the room right now and is listening to another podcast right now. Honestly, that's a, that's an incredible flex. <laughs> it is. It is. It's it is truly an, embarrassing for us. It is an absolutely incredible flex. You guys went croc shopping today, um, so that's a fun thing. We'll, we'll discuss uh, how that, that... I can tie that into this episode. Watch me do it a little bit later. But today, before oh, no. we, we get going, YouTube is going to be caught up as of Wednesday, I promise. We are going to be doing Swifty stuff. I'm so excited of to course, talk about how to the do stuff. most powerful woman arguably ever has convinced a bunch of people to donate their data so that she can make more money. It is incredible. She, that is Sorry, did you say Swifty stuff or Oprah stuff? Um, this person has re-recorded her songs and simply asked her fan base to listen to them so that she can make more money. And they are doing it en masse and shaming people who don't. Like it, it, and it's just the donation, essentially. She's amazing. I've never seen anything like this. Like if Mark Zuckerberg asked us to do something so that he can make more money, our response would be, I actually might delete Facebook today. Speaking of which, we do not yet have a Threads account. I do. But we probably we absolutely will, right? do. We absolutely do. Oh, we do. We yeah. do. Join us on Threads. <laughs> at Game Theory Pod, probably, right? Or, yeah, it's something. You'll figure it out. That's the one that looks like all of our other stuff. We'll get on it one of these days. Threads will matter, I'm sure. Okay, so let's talk about the topic. There was an offensive list that was published on the internet. It was arguably the most offensive list I've ever seen, and it ranked the top barbecue cities in America, and it got all of them wrong, almost to the point of pulling them out of their ass, including, was it Seattle, number one? But this is not someone's opinion. This was a, a, a list of data that was analyzed on the internet and published, and that is why Callie is here, because she pointed out when we were discussing this list, oh, this isn't terrible opinions this is not understanding what you're looking at and analyzing it incorrectly is that right yeah exactly yeah you can't just get people's opinions about something and make it into a list and say look we've done data research like that's that's not how it works and Cal so Cal is going to explain the ins and outs of what that is and, uh, and how kind of like surveys work versus content analysis versus like expressing that she, she's going to break down how to do so responsibly and how to consume that kind of information responsibly but I want to tell you about this, this okay. alleged list. So in 2021, 
TripAdvisor published a list of the top 10 best cities in America for barbecue. So they do this kind of stuff all the time with all sorts of different like travel things with food and with resorts and activities and all kinds of stuff. And it's like, what's the, what's the top, you know, they're, they're, they're publishing in the listicle style of like a BuzzFeed or whatever. Yeah, and that's kind of, kind of the TripAdvisor's yep. MO in addition to like giving you basic information about travel stuff. So in 2021, they published this list of the top 10 best barbecue cities in America. And so if you're an alien coming to the earth and you wanted to figure out where to go for good barbecue and you open this TripAdvisor list, you would be met with something that I, I would argue is punishable by up to three years in federal prison. Yeah. I'm going to read the list aloud to you stuff and it's it's there's actually a map that goes along with it and just looking at it makes me physically ill <laughs> but I'm going to run through the list real quick here and, and you'll see player three just how ridiculous this result is so number one is New Orleans oh, okay not fair. bad touche fine number two is Oklahoma City mm, okay still okay fine yep. I guess question mark number three is Charlotte still continuing Honestly, to, to make sense That's fine tied with number three Virginia Beach, Virginia. So not Memphis, Kansas City, no. St. Louis. No. No. Okay. The thir- uh, there, there's another tie for third place, but it's Wichita, Kansas. Not Kansas City, Kansas. Closer. Closer. I vibable, but not not accurate. Now we're starting to leave speaking. off people. Not We're leaving off places that should be on the list officially now. Yeah, absolutely. And we're we're starting to fall off the, the wagon here. Number six is Columbus, Ohio. No, false. It's it's unbelievable. Number seven is even worse. It's Seattle. Yeah, that's not true. And I bet honestly, and you know what? I, and you know what? Seattle. There's a lot to love. Yeah. There is a whole lot to love. I love the Kraken. They're my second favorite team or third For favorite team sure. in the NHL. What an example of how to market correctly. Oh, it's it's unbelievable. It's yeah. it's so cool that they have a professional hockey team now. The city is really unique. But guys. Seattle's not a barbecue city. I, I bet this, hey. our, our, our our Pacific Northwest uh, listeners would be like, yeah, we've got great barbecue, but we shouldn't be on this list. I bet they would say yeah. that. Yeah, I'm sure there is good barbecue there, 100%. but it's not it's not anywhere. But don't worry, East Coast. You elites on this side of the country are not left <laughs> off this list because number nine, tied for number nine on this list, is Newark. Yeah, that's the not most New York City, one. That's even. The most one. It's, it's yeah, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. And then rounding out the list, uh, also tied here, is Miami. Oh, I skipped. I, I I do have to go back. I, I skipped St. Louis. They're on the list at number eight. Okay, that's fair. That they should probably be four, but eight could be fine if there are other barbecue cities higher. Okay, so Cali, what the hell? Um, defend this list, please, or <laughs> tell me what will yeah. happen. I don't know if I can uh, physically defend this list. I wouldn't. But no. basically, when we discovered this list, what we were talking about was the fact that like this is clearly a case where. I think someone has like misinterpreted data. Mm-hmm. And so part of that is, is what's very likely happened here. So for the background for users is like, I am a user researcher. My background is in sociolinguistics. Like this type of data is like the bread and butter of what I interact with kind of on a daily basis. And so what in all likelihood happened was that, um, the author of the article who is probably not a researcher doesn't understand that there are like methodologies in place to Mm -hmm. conduct this type of like analysis. Um, Just took like scraped the best uh, trip advisor, you know, probably sampled some number of reviews and like came up with this like bogus list. Um, So, so you're, you're, when you're saying scraped, what you're, what you mean is if somebody goes to a, a restaurant in Seattle and that restaurant 
claims to have like some kind of barbecue item on the menu. They have like ribs or whatever, and it's like a Texas roadhouse. Then somebody who rates that list highly then contributes a data point and somebody that's like scraping data would get that because they're looking uncritically at it. And they would see like, this is a barbecue restaurant that was rated really highly. Mm-hmm. And then they would compare that with all the other ratings for all the restaurants that serve barbecue. And they would develop a composite list without breaking apart what any of these individual ratings mean, where they're all coming from, how many they are comparatively. So they're right. just like taking raw numbers. It's a pretty basically. like lazy way of doing an analysis. So like, how you would ideally want to do this is like something called content analysis, which is like a qualitative analysis method. It kind of blends quantitative and qualitative methods. So quantitative, of course, means like the there's numbers back. Right. It. So yeah. Quantitative. Um, if you're looking at quantitative data, it would be, you know, you're looking at how long people maybe spend at the restaurant Um like the average price of the menu, like things that are usually you can um, analyze in high volume. And then qualitative analysis is is a little bit like murkier. And so that would be looking at like the sentiment of the reviews um, and like doing an analysis, like a thematic analysis based on the sentiment. So um, basically like what you would ideally want to do in this case is you would want to take a sample of like the TripAdvisor reviews and you would want to like qualitatively code them um, based on a number of factors like that, whatever you're interested in. So if you're looking to see like what is the best uh, barbecue, you would want to take into account like the, the content of the review. But then there's also things that you all need to be asking yourself as well, like who are the people who are reviewing? Mm-hmm. Are these people mm-hmm. who are really familiar with barbecue? Are these people that, you know, in the review said, oh, this place surprisingly had good barbecue? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Which, so you that, know, obviously. That's what I thought that this could be. There's uh, one other metric that's involved in these reviews that I'm finding, I think probably screwed this up quite a bit, was how many people, you write a review, it comes with five stars, which is objectively a terrible way to measure this. Like, it, it, there's a huge jump between an A and a B, right? Like, all of a sudden, you're barely passing, depending on... The standards Which of you would know very well. <laughs> oh, I mean, I really, really well. Where Wyoming D's get degrees, I can confirm. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. one of the extra okay. things, so five stars are bad. I often find that when I'm really going to spend money or something like a very important purchase, or like an apartment, three stars, three star reviews is where you live because they're like, "Yep, it's fine. It's not great. Like you're not rich enough to afford the great thing." So let me tell you what's going on here. Love me a three star review. That's where all the good stuff is. But the new, the new metric is how many people found this helpful. So say a, 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 like a million people read a review and like 2,000 found it helpful and the next best review, uh, 400 found it helpful. Like, well, apparently this review has more weight. So therefore the restaurant in Seattle will be helpful when maybe perhaps like it's just people visiting Seattle. They're like, where do I find barbecue? Like, oh, the people were like, yeah, this one for sure. Right, right. And like the other thing that is not clear in, in like methodology like this is that you also, like, how are you quantifying best city? Like, this right. isn't just, like, best restaurants for barbecue. And, and maybe if that was the metric, like, maybe Seattle does have a really great barbecue restaurant. But if we're thinking about cities, you're thinking at, like, a bigger, like, what what are you qualifying as best? Are you considering, like, the density of barbecue restaurants? Like, are we considering, um, like, Michelin star barbecue restaurants? Yeah. Are we considering awarded chefs? Um, like, you know, do they have really long lines? Are their prices cheap? Like, this is where we get into this, like, really murky territory, like, as a researcher, when you're, like, when I look at these like kind of listicles is a little bit of a red flag just because there 
it, there isn't like a sound and clear methodology that they're using to like rank what's best. And like, that's what made me think that they're just scraping a list of these, the, yeah. the reviews and not taking into consideration you know, the expertise of the people who are reviewing or like the historical legacy of the cities that they're taking into account. I mean, in that list, there's there's not even a single barbecue place in Texas like that. It's crazy. I think it, Texas, like Texas, in, in many ways, Texas is its own kind of barbecue institution. Yeah. We can we can talk about the different styles of barbecue, too. But what 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 Callie's saying now reminds me of you remember the episode because you listened to it about what, <laughs> I what constitutes like the best the best championship team because we, because we talked oh, about yeah, on the show yeah, before yeah. It, in college sports, there's a weird thing because we're trying to answer the question of who is the champion this year. And that question is different from who's the best program. Right. So best when team, you sure. talk about like the historical legacy of the city, like if there's restaurant for restaurant, the most number of barbecue restaurants in this, you know, XYZ USA, then you could call that like a good barbecue city or if there's like three or four restaurants, but they're really, really, really super good, like the best barbecue you've ever tasted in your entire life, like that might be a different thing. But it's a set of holistic factors that contribute to the vague idea of what is a barbecue city, like what is the best barbecue cities? No question. And like as a so as a researcher, then it sounds like one of your chief value adds is that you know how to parse that into different segments and answer well if you're looking at the best in terms of quantity here's the place you're going to go if you're looking at the best in terms of like people's reported experience with this good or service then you as the researcher can say i'm going to take this vague notion of what constitutes a good city or a good product or a good you know whatever and translate it to you the customer into something that could be profitable or could be of value to you down the road. Right. And I think that's one of the chief values of researchers is our ability to, before we even conduct the research and attempt to answer the question, there's a lot of um, like presuppositions. That's like kind of a linguistic term, but what, what is, what is yeah, presupposition? That, presupposition that, is I'm offended basically, that you think I know that. <laughs> presupposition is basically like, it's kind of the assumptions people walk into okay. um, in an interaction. So if you ask me, um, let's say you're my editor, and you ask me, where's the best barbecue city in the U.S.? Um, I, as a good researcher, should look at you and say, okay, well, I need to break that apart a little bit because best is on a lot of different dimensions. Yeah. So I like what you first and foremost should do is like talk to the person who's asking you this question and say, okay, I need to understand like what metrics you actually care about so i can adequately assess the question um and like ideally deliver you the results that you want and not have it be this like it's really box yeah i love that because i I'm, I'm thinking about my life as a or my career as a content creator and how to be accurate while also like getting clicks and being interesting and not boring because this was labeled like what are the best barbecue cities in america i'm immediately thinking you know what would have been way cooler was uh, like you cut out all of the ones that are obvious and you think here are nine surprisingly good barbecue cities according to reviews, but not the best ones because what the hell I'm at can't put Newark on this list. That's crazy. But you're like, what? surprisingly, you, the people have decided that Newark has a, a really great list. So you should participate in this. I, I think that would be like a significantly better way to go about it and keep it accurate because like here we are like, oh, yeah, you don't want to have barbecue in San Antonio. People didn't review it. Right. And I think the other thing to 
like take into consideration too is obviously this article probably was posted a little bit to just like get buzz and obviously controversially putting like Seattle and Newark on a barbecue list is like going to get people in your ats. A hundred percent. That's, that's true. So so this, so this is just really quickly. I, I, I want you to finish this thought, but I do want to point out that this list. So I want to read the Twitter response to that, um, something called, uh, the Twitter handle at visit Houston. So I assume that's like a Houston tourism organization. Mm-hmm. Their tweet was, and I'm going to quote this directly. Ha 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 dead. So obviously the places that try to make a name for themselves are like, they're well aware of what's going on here. Another hilarious one at Jason Isbell tweeted, did a pig make this map? <laughs> as in they're gonna make a lot of barbecue without pigs uh, but but the real key here is that several people who are with TripAdvisor uh, deny having any part in this map that was published by TripAdvisor and so there's a little bit of like under the hood mechanics here in addition to having to having to acknowledge that this is not great user research and this is not like it's not answering a set of questions that is appropriately addressed with the data that were scraped to make this list. TripAdvisor says, very important, we did not make those wild barbecue maps. So <laughs> the question is, what happened? Uh, and the answer is that they use user-generated content to review businesses. And one of the organizations that they use to get that data is something is a food magazine called Chef's Pencil. And oh, yeah. Chef's Pencil was the, was the organization that was responsible for, for this list. And so while it was promoted by TripAdvisor, that's just part of their business model is like promoting stuff like this. And so this was a case of bad user research on the part of Chef's Pencil published by TripAdvisor that made the rounds. And so we all wind up kind of having a good, frankly, I think productive discussion about barbecue because we're all <laughs> acknowledging like, well, let's review all the good places that are actually good barbecue while kind of simultaneously poking fun at this obviously ridiculous list. And it's funny so, now. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it, it is funny now. It yeah. is funny it, now. I mean, Oh, yeah. And oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah. yeah, You were finishing a thought. I was just going to say it's yeah, it's just like exceedingly lazy. I I mean, what very likely happened is someone did some like very basic like natural language processing or like NLP, which is a type of like linguistic analysis. Is that that sounds like a computer term? Is that? Nope. Yeah, it would be like it's like a programming thing. So like, you know, they probably had like a really basic NLP package that they were using and like plugged in the key terms that they were interested in. And then that like basically like shot out a list of like, here are the frequencies in which we saw like best barbecue used. And then they Mm. probably just summed that all up. So essentially like a word cloud, like not particularly sophisticated. Um, And this reminds me of like, so I worked in the like e-commerce space, like specifically like customer to customer e-commerce. And one of the things that, this really reminds me of is like for low stakes purchases, customers are, or like um, shoppers are fine, like going to Amazon and just like looking at the list that has, or like looking at the listing that has like the highest number of reviews and like star ratio, right? Like for something that's a pretty low stakes purchase, like let's say you're buying a new toaster, you want to spend 30 bucks, you go to Amazon, you buy the higher rated toaster for 30 bucks. Sure. Make, yeah, I, I think we've done that exact thing. Many exactly. Times. I mean, everyone does it, right? But the thing is, is when you go to, let's say you're getting ready to purchase like a vehicle or you're getting ready to purchase a new TV or a mattress, like something that's like an investment for most people, like a higher a mark, where you're really, the, the like 
the resources you actually want to to consult in those instances will be things like wire cutter or people who are experts in their field who can provide you like in-depth analysis on like what the correct metrics are, or like on a series of metrics, like in a matrix, you know, like if you're going to buy a, a car, you want to know like the safety, the comfort, is it quiet? Um, what's the gas mileage like? And you're mm -hmm. not going to trust like an Amazon rating system for that. Yeah, no, that, that's way too simplistic a model to be making decisions about a purchase that's that large. And so compared to like barbecue, it, it's nothing to go out and pay for a meal of barbecue. Like, oh, shoot, I didn't realize that Newark had famous ribs. Let's go try them out. And you're disappointed one time and you waste $30 and whatever else. But you're saying when the stakes of the purchase change, then the methods that consumers use to get information and make decisions, that also changes. Exactly. And I think interestingly about barbecue, I think that might also mean for people who take eating seriously. <laughs> as in, are you talking now, are you talking about people like who take eating seriously as in like I take eating seriously as in I never basically want to stop for any length of time? Or you mean like people who seek out like fine quality food? Yeah, like people who like think about the Michelin star ratings. Like sure. part of the qualification for receiving like a third Michelin star is that it is worth making a trip to that destination just for that restaurant. So like which is if, a which is a cool metric. Oh, very cool. Yeah, we did our list. Obviously, Callie listened to every. She listened to that episode. She remembers. Yeah, she remembers. That's why she brought right. it up. Yeah. She's yeah. she's doing a call. That's what we call a callback yeah, in the it's industry. A callback. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So like for people who take, you know, um, food seriously and they want to like have like a really good barbecue experience, like this TripAdvisor list isn't going to be enough for them. That like that's where you're going to go to like experts, you know, Bon Appetit or somewhere who has like sure. you know deep expertise in the space to like figure Michel out where you're going to go. Yeah. I, I find it really interesting that, um, that at a certain point you can get inundated with this. So being from, well, not from, but like having spent a number of years in Philadelphia, which I would consider a top five-ish food city in the United States with New Orleans. And I, I, I would agree with that Frisco, one. Yeah, I think New York and, and LA don't count. They're just so big that like they are good and bad simultaneously. But like it's a real food city. However... Um, cheesesteaks, everybody wants to come for the cheesesteaks. Most people want to do the famous places, Pat's and Gino's, which are downtown. Everybody that asks the, there's like an unspoken thing in the city is like, yeah, shove them there. Like, take them to the tourist place. Don't bring them to my, my, local, my local spot. If you Google it and look like, where do locals go? There's so many lists published by Philadelphia publications, other trip stuff, that it's, it's simply... There, and there, so there are lists that are accurate. There are lists that are not. There are lists that are about 50-50. And I know them after having been there for seven years. I know them. But you, depending on the list you picked, you might get a tourist spot or you might, you might get one that's off the beaten path and you have no way of understanding what... They're just all lists. And they sometimes they get them right and sometimes they get them wrong. And sometimes they're kind of unspoken, like, don't tell those guys. Like, don't ruin the spot. Don't blow it up on a Saturday morning. I'm hungover. I need it. It also... You bring up another great point. It reminds me of like the commerce research that I do. One of the chief things that people prefer to do when making these like large purchases is talk to their peers, talk to their friends, talk to their family. Um, a lot of people like go on Facebook groups or Reddit to like solicit advice from kind of regular everyday people to get kind of 
better results. And I think that's what you're talking about, Nick, too. It's like, if I was going to Philly, I wouldn't look at a list. If I was like, I want the best Italian place in Philly, I would just talk to you because I know you're a local and you won't send me, um, down to like a trip advisor spot. Right. You're not going to go to like the old spaghetti factory. Right. And that's, that's, uh, that's sort of what this trip advisor thing reminds me of because in 2000 or 2015, when I graduated college, we had barbecue for my college graduation party. That restaurant was in a gas station very much. It was the place that is referenced in the uh, Michael Orr movie, um, Blindside. Blindside. It was yeah. not technically a restaurant. Like if you Googled it, there would be no place to go. You would you need to Google the gas station. Like it's in the thing. And I, I knew that's where I want to go. Like I'm from there. That's not going to appear on a list. It's not going to help Mississippi tourism. Like it's not, it doesn't exist. But everybody in Oxford, including the students, like 50,000 people, I would say 90% of them would know exactly what you're talking about when you say that. So the, the, this, and I find it interesting now that the internet is, is helping us out with this. Anytime something big happens in the world and I want to know what the vibe is and what the idiots are saying, like I go to Twitter and then I'm like, okay, well, like, what the fuck is really happening? Then I go to TikTok. Like, okay, what, what do the former military people think about this? But first I go to Twitter and be like, oh, what's burning down? Let's check some <laughs> things out. And that's unanalyzable. But Cal, here's my next question. Would... AI help or hurt this? Because I feel like if I ask ChatGPT, it might tell me that Seattle's a top 10 barbecue city. Yeah, Because you mentioned natural language processing already, yeah. which reminds me of ChatGPT. So this is a good question. Exactly. And like ChatGPT is just like a language model. Yeah. Uh, so one of the chief things about like AI is it's only ever as good as the training set that you feed to it, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's where we get into like this murky territory with like if you if you feed ChatGPT a biased training set, it will always like reproduce that biased training set over and over again. So, so it can't like, it's, it's not good. If, if you fed it stuff that was used to make this map, then it's not going to correct and say, well, actually you should go to Texas. Exactly. So this is where like, I think you're exactly right, Nick. I think if you were to ask ChatGPT like GPT where, I should go for barbecue, it will very likely just spit out the top 10 articles on Google, like resynthesized and not give you kind of a nuanced understanding of like what you're interested in. Now that said, maybe Chappie GPT, if you said, Hey, I'm interested in like the highest density of barbecue restaurants in the U S like, that's where I want to go. That's my metric for what I consider a good barbecue city. It may actually be able to like provide you with a ranked list of that. Um, but in my opinion, if you're looking for like the best, I just think it's better to go to like human experts in that in that case. I just don't think like language modeling um, is like there yet to give you that nuanced approach. Yeah, I, I, I think that that vibes with my general life experience. I mean, it, it, it's only as good as the information that you feed the set to train. Right. So if you're putting in a bunch of garbage, you're only going to get garbage out. And like yeah. this, this isn't like directly related, but I, I, did you guys hear about this? Uh, the guy who wrote uh, "Boy in the Striped Pajamas" uh, did a fun. He did a fun blunder. Uh, okay, who who is uh, John Boyne? So John Boyne is you know he wrote one of the most what would become one of the most famous you know, movies of all time, uh, and he had a fun little research blunder i would say when writing one of his novels yeah you know exactly what i'm talking about don't you so okay have any idea what the hell is going on right now so i'll tell you (laughs) this guy and this is like this is like an author he's published like a ton of books so i'm I'm gonna read you a passage from one of his books that he got published i'm not i don't even know the name of it i don't want to know the name of it because i don't want people to buy this piece of crap but this is a passage that comes out of his book okay 
The dyes that I used in my dressmaking were composed from various ingredients depending on the color required, but almost all required nightshade, sapphire, key swing, the leaves of the silent princess plant, octorock eyeball, swift violet, thistle, and hightail lizard. In addition to the red I'd used for Abrilla's dress, I employed spicy pepper, the tail of the red lizalfos, and four Hylian shrooms. Nick, do you recognize any of those ingredients? I, I, I just, I kind of blacked out and thought we were playing a video game there for a second. Oh, yeah. are, well, are those real it's things? appropriate that you think that. No. Yeah. <laughs> these fake, recipes right? come, no, these recipes, are they're real, but they come directly from The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Highland, because yes. There's a, Yes, there's a mechanic in that game where if you use certain ingredients and all the ingredients have like little colors attached, like the artwork has, has yeah, like a dominant yeah. color. If you take it to a place in uh, one of the village, Hateno village, there's a guy there who will like dye your clothes. So you can like, you can have your little outfits and there's like, you know, 30 or 40 different this outfits guy, you can have. Just... And you can change the primary color of that. But in, ex in exchange, you got to pay like money and then you have to give over these like ingredients. So he's talking about the red dyes. Like those components are the red things that you have to trade in in the Legend of Zelda video game in order for this guy to make your clothes red. So he so just this Googled author it and he put this it. In, Yes, he just Googled like how to like, dye oh, something red. Facts. Yep. Wow. Right. And the first thing that popped up in like the Google automated thing gives the list for like how to dye stuff red in Breath of the Wild because that was the conversation that was happening on the internet at the time that he was doing the research. And because right. he did yep. nothing else, mm. he didn't verify this in any way. He basically got the equivalent of a crappy natural language processing thing, Google's algorithm, took a shit, and this is what is this is the shit I, that he smeared on the page you, of right his now, novel. Wouldn't have happened if you went to a library. Plenty of fantasy in the library. <laughs> When it happened, he went to the library. Well, what, he knows the Dewey Decimal System. He knows, like, he knows the, the fiction from the non. Right. He I could, mean, my God. Allegedly, old people are often hoodwinked by the uh, internet, and I'm imagining this guy's not below 60 years old would be my guess. Oh, yeah. yeah well, so. it, John, yeah, no, I, I it, how I old is John Boyne? I, I don't know how old he is. 80s, maybe. But, he is, but so th this is like, that remind, that was what came to mind when you talked about a natural language processing model basically spitting out whatever data you use to train the model right like uh language models are really great at reproducing things very well mm -hmm. the problem that with that being like if you feed them junk data to start or if you feed them bias data to start they're really great at replicating that um to several like exponentially right so then mm -hmm. that's where you get into that's where you get into trouble and like you know that that's where ai starts to like lose the thread thread a little bit yeah yeah so so then we need better user researchers to understand what what are the quantified like the quantity type data that you're working with but also you can't really accurately characterize the qualitative nature of people's experiences with buying a good or service or looking for a good or service or whatever else with just like a computer language model you have to have the human who, who can interpret the nuances of like answering a question like what's the best barbecue city or whatever right exactly there you know i think one of the the pieces of advice that i can give to people because not everyone is a user researcher um is i think as you like go around like googling like best hoodie under 50 dollars mm -hmm. like <laughs> You know, I do that constantly. I'm like, yeah, best yeah, hoodie yeah. under $50. Yeah, I'm, I'm aware. I'm aware of that. <laughs> but you need to, I think one of the chief things that you need to do is like, before you start this research process, like decide, 
like what is your key metric and then look for mm. sources that evaluate restaurants or clothing or cars based on the metrics that matter to you. I think that's like one of the best things that you can do mm-hmm. because that is going to set you up for like better success than just like, you know, looking at Twitter and saying, oh, here's a map I saw. I guess I'm going to plan a whole city or a whole trip to Newark it's for barbecue. <laughs> I think that the, the question that you ask, the, the hardest part of science or, or, or doing anything that is like qu- quantitative is asking the correct question. For example, yeah. when our family visits us, the most important thing to me when picking a restaurant is not the quality of food. It is the space and the environment. They like good service. They like big booths and like kind of chain restaurant kind of vibe. Like doesn't have to be a chain. Quality of food is not as important to the setting and the way that our parents are treated. They like that the most. Like come to Philly, like where are they going to feel spaciously comfortable? That matters to them the most. The most, I, I actually should write a blog about this, but I'm far too lazy to do the research. Yeah, so I we'll know. just do a podcast instead. Yeah, exactly. And then I'll let you guys Google it. Cause I know that it's a fact for, for years. <laughs> These, that's a, that's a solid all of these, endorsement. I, yeah, I'm telling you right now. You, I, do your own Googling. We call it the Googleography. It's available in every episode. Callie knows. She goes to every time. So yeah. <laughs> there, often, every year, number of publications will, and The Economist has done this. I mean, Calgary is the number one city in the world, according to The Economist, or they were a year ago or something. Everybody says, like, what's the happiest city? country? Yeah, most livable. They won in 2021 or 2020. Like recently, they're, Calgary's like the best in North America by far. Anyway. Clearly, the flames didn't factor into that calculation. It's because they have all the oil money. They can just get a bunch of good stuff. Duh. Like we yeah, lived in that. Yeah, it's great. So they, all of these places will poll, or they won't poll. They will pull data and craft lists of the happiest places or the cities, countries, the most livable places. All of that is based on data. The Perhaps a great metric to... to include would be like asking the locals. So in America, the happiest states are often ranked. But if you go into the methods, it's just median income, healthcare, education. They don't ask. There's only ever been one that I, there may have been others. It's been a couple of years since I looked into this. They've only ever asked once. And the least happy places on the data list are all the number one happiest places on the asking list because Southerners, while having terrible education, terrible healthcare, generally speaking, rural, the rural South, uh, accounts of racism, unemployment, a lot of bad things in these states. They are by far the happiest section of the country. They have religion and their way of life and the food and stuff. They, their obesity it's, and it's, life expectancy. It's kind of remarkable, actually. Yeah. If you think they about it. are factually happier according to these like polls. Like asking people showed that Mississippi and Alabama and Tennessee are like the happiest places or they were back then the happiest places in America. It was like 15, 16 is the last time I looked at this. And the, the, the data list was like, oh, those places are garbage. Those people are, can't be happy. They don't make any money. Yeah, that goes back to like the difference between quantitative and qualitative. When I explain this to people, because I think a lot of times qualitative research gets a pretty bad rap in like... It does, especially of, now, yeah. Yeah, and like, you know, business settings because it seems a little bit fluffy. But like quantitative data can tell you what is going on, right? Like this is the median income. This is, you know, the average lifespan of people in this area, whatever. But qualitative data, it lets you piece into the why. Like Mm -hmm. why are these things happening? Or, you know, so sure, we we kind of know all these factors and and because we know like the median income and, and who has health insurance and who doesn't, we would assume that people in these areas would not be as happy as people in, in better areas where there's more access to things. But like you mentioned that that's not necessarily the case. And then that's where you would do qualitative research to find out like, why is there a dis- discrepancy? Um, and like, why are we seeing people who are, you know, reportedly happier 
um, in areas where they don't have as much access potentially. Um, and that's where it gets like really interesting. That's where like social, um, like sociological research is like fascinating. Um, because you can kind of start to pull apart these like really complex structures and, and especially for something like happiness, like happiness is so subjective. Right. Like again, what we were talking about, like what matters most for me for happiness may not be the same for you or be the same for someone else on the street. And so like, that's where you, that's where it gets really, really complicated to, to, to decide on a baseline. Yeah. Well, and, and even just like the term happiness, I mean, you, you could, you, you could probably break down the linguistics of, of what this is, what I'm getting at here, but when I ask, are you happy? You probably picture something completely different than what I picture. Right. And like, that's just such a loaded term. And so you have to do much more work if you're going to get to like the root causes of the why my behaviors are in a certain way or my attitudes are reflected in a certain pattern of life because you can't just rely on answering the question, are you happy? Like that, yeah. there's not, there's not enough there. And so you have to delve deeper into the, like the sociology to the, like the social capital we talk about mm -hmm. all the time, it, it, but it, it goes even deeper than just those data. There's the why question, which is at the root of all of this. And so you have to understand how to delve into that. And that's why user research is so valuable. Yeah. Say, I mean, that's why survey uh, research is also so particular yes. because survey writing is such a craft. You have to be very, very conscious of the order of the questions that you're putting in the exact phrasing, whether or not you're showing images or not, um, because so much can influence the perception of the question. And in a lot of surveys, they do really extensive um, cognitive testing beforehand. So like the census is a great um, like example of that. They do, I mean, the census is once every 10 years, but there are people who are survey design experts who will be working on updating the census uh, for nine years until it launches, uh, specifically wow. on crafting and making sure that the questions are um, measuring the exact same thing across demographics um, because a lot of people can have different interpretations of like what a question may mean. So mm -hmm. for example, if you ask me if I'm happy, it's like, am I, do you mean right now in this moment? Right. Am I happy? Do you mm -hmm. mean generally, do you mean the last seven days in mm -hmm. the last six months? Um, and so that's where like survey research is like a fascinating field as well. Oh, certainly say speaking of uh, subjective happiness um, in 2006, filmmakers were they came up with a film that would predict the future it has the not hot wilson brother in it and they he figured out that the problem with society is that stupid people as joe rogan said stupid people get horny too and then they reproduce and now um the, that was essentially the premise of the film it was like what's going to happen the film was called idiocracy when they were designing the set and the costumes for idiocracy they were like what are these people going to wear um, we got to find this dumb shoe, but I don't want to make a dumb shoe. We don't have enough money. This isn't a hundred million dollars. This isn't Marvel. What are we going to do? Like, like someone's job is to go on the internet in the early days and find the stupidest, dumbest, futuristic, futuristic looking shoe that they could possibly find. That shoe that they wore was then marketed. Everybody knows where I'm going with this. It's so obvious. I've narrowed it down to of one, course. even if you don't know the story. Crocs were launched in 2004-ish. They were in idiocracy as the dumb futuristic shoe. They were then popular. Then everyone was like, whatever, you don't like Crocs. And now they're back and it's not ironic. It is not ironic. Here, yep, show the camera. Chris got them today. That's correct. I'm now, as of about four hours ago, proud owner of a pair of Crocs. I got my little charm thingies here that you can just, you can just take that out, put mm -hmm. it in. 
you can go into sport. It's currently in sport mode because, you know, I've got to be maximum performance for the podcast. But when it's over, I'm going to probably flip into relaxation mode and go a lot more casual. So the, the charms that Chris is talking is about, unmatched. explain the charms for the listeners, because this is crazy. Everybody knows what Crocs look like, right? The holes. Are there, are, is, that the, is that the official term, giblets? I do think giblets is like the term. Because that sounds like, it sounds like a sci-fi futuristic currency yeah it sounds kind of gross yeah, actually yeah like, but they're like little plugs so crocs have these sleek aerodynamic holes in the top of them <laughs> to ensure maximum cooling and performance right. and they sell these little things they're just like little rubber or plastic or whatever and they have this little notch on the end and you can just basically push it through the hole the woman at the store put his giblets in for she did him. she showed the most aesthetically pleasing arrangement of the giblets ah. in the shoe and i gotta tell you it was impressive i haven't really been able to replicate it i've 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 adjusted them myself and the feng shui was of your giblets is, is is store-bought huh just like right out of like expert expertly picked oh, well you know oh, yeah. when i'm when you're making a high stakes purchase <laughs> you have to go into some different factors you have to decide what quality means and you have to consult the experts yeah, in order to make was, a responsible what was the most important factor to you when deciding to purchase your crocs swag for sure swag yeah, swag, yeah. Uh, i mean number, that's get. that's number one and it really it's like an umbrella factor yeah comfort uh -huh. performance all all overshadowed by swag we and did i think spend that's no uh no less no fewer than 45 minutes in there deciding what color it's a long time uh, and you landed on carolina blue huh well no i landed on uh, the blue that is, I think, as close to the same shade as the Fierce Deity costume set from Tears of the Kingdom and Majora's Mask. Uh, uh, I like to I like to idolize, or I like to represent my idols in day-to-day mm. -day life, which is also why I've got uh, Snorlax giblet. I, I'm, I'm just trying to get a little bit better every day. And yeah. these, are, you've, these are real reminders that my <sighs> swag should be pointed in the right direction. Swag it, off I, the charts. I sweat off the charts stuff we all get right is that michael scott um i stuff do want we all get stuff we all get i do want to uh give a real world example to the importance of diving into the qualitative and quantitative data and understanding that what looks to be true with numbers is not necessarily true this is a tale of my wife's medical training and her co-resident who is a huge listener of the show shouts to dr andrew um, they Dr. are Andrew, what up? What up, Dr. Andrew? He is a Canadian that lives now outside of Philadelphia. Huge Raptors fan. Um, huge Maple Leafs or not? Ma yeah, Wait, Toronto shout out Leafs. to Tim Hortons. Uh, yes, definitely. <laughs> shout Toe. out to Tim's from across Toe the falls. Mm -hmm. Yeah, from across the yeah, right. I, I was at a Tim Hortons once. I had a fireplace, so that was crazy. Yeah, Tim, okay. Oh, yeah. yeah, all Tim Hortons have fireplaces in I the 21st century i mean come on get with yeah, it that's it was unbelievable anyway dr andrew is one of four they have a class of four people it's all balanced it's all there's a curriculum you do a month with this stuff you do a month with that stuff it takes six years everybody takes their turn being on call and as you age through the program what your responsibilities are through call get significantly higher right you're learning how to be a surgeon just through the luck of the draw, my wife is what is called a black cloud, which means that she gets all the bad luck. When she's on call, bad things happen. Nurses oh. often are like, I'm actually going to take that day off. So um, someone else. <laughs> That's so rough. It is. It's like a thing. It's a vibes thing. And you know, some, some people just have the vibe. So her, she had, and some years were worse than others. She was the black cloud. Andrew. I can just imagine someone, you're a scientist. You don't believe in luck or superstition. Oh, I'm telling you right now, doctors, 
nurses and doctors are more superstitious than professional athletes. They sound like goalies to me is yeah, what they sound like. For sure. We don't say they're a bunch of weird little freaks doing their weird doctory stuff. They're mysterious. Everybody forgets about them until the moment they need them. And then it's like, I defer to you in all things, no matter yeah. what. I also forget Nick's wife exists. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks guys. Um, yeah, that's really, that's really, we don't say the Q word or the S word when, when she's on call, that's quiet and slow. Um, um, yeah, <laughs> and we don't say those things when Nick is around for sensitivity reasons. Ah, thank you. But um, hold on. Nailed Speaking it. of which, uh, I noticed there aren't any more books on your bookshelf yes, behind are, you. Are you finally throwing in the towel? Uh, I read half of those, dude. I read ha- at least half of those. <laughs> which half? You read the the small half. <laughs> Just the, the small. top half of every page. That's exactly right. So. Dr. Andrew is not a black cloud. He was a white cloud. So on paper, for a number of years, he had sort of not, I mean, obviously, not everything is factually accurate. Like sometimes he had bad calls and she didn't have bad calls. But for the most part, at the end of his training, there was, I think he did his grand rounds, which is like his final oral essay, essentially, on like, hey, we should address this because on paper, we've done the same amount of cases. We did, took the same amount of calls. We did the same amount of hours. He is now a minimally invasive surgeon with the, with the robots. He's very successful. But he was like, our residencies were not the same. And there was nothing that could have really been done to, to change that. When you're on a call, you're having beers with your boys and your, your co-residents like, hey, it's about to be a shit show. Would you like to come in now and be part of the shit show? So it's not his fault and it's not her fault. But sure. on paper, if you're handed like, these residents have been certified by the United States Medical Education whatever they're the same but you ask either of them like kind of it kind of wasn't and and you could say like going through it that um kim was had the rough end of the deal but then at the end i'm sure andrew was like would have been nice to uh, weather some some more storms guys i think that would have been great there's no way to look at that other than to say like if you if if, if you ask them they'll tell you that they're the only two people that could report that and there's nothing i mean I, I don't have a solution but i do know that on paper in the medical journal it will appear as if they're the same but they'll tell you that they're not that is fascinating, actually. Mm-hmm. I thought this wasn't going to go anywhere. I, I'll be honest with you. I didn't really have faith <laughs> in you telling this story. That is a really interesting look. At, because you, we talk about like high stakes commitments. Like we, were, we used purchases as an example earlier. But yeah. I mean, that kind of surgery that they're doing, that's about as, a surgery is about as high stakes as it gets, right. you know, person to person. And so when you're considering what factors are at play here, I mean, not to disparage any of the, you know, the skill of anybody involved here, but if you had a choice between somebody who has a lot of experience or a little experience, all other things being equal as they are. Right. uh, I mean, you tend to choose the person who has weathered more storms as a, a, as a consumer. Right. And I want to be very clear, like Dr. Andrew is as good a doctor as you could possibly want. I mean, he's the man. I don't Um, doubt that. Yeah. It just like, what do you do? You're sitting around your call like, yep, nobody wants to blow their hands off with fireworks today. I guess I will just (laughs) hang out in the hospital on the internet. Like, I don't, what do you want me to do? So like that's that. And and it's, it's, it's one of those weird situations where I think that for the most part, nobody's wrong. Like the, the program didn't do anything wrong. It's just that's the luck of the draw. They got incredible. Like the odds of this are awfully low. Like usually it'll even out a little bit more. And because the mm-hmm. other two residents in the class, they didn't quite have the same complaints. They were kind of in the middle of these two guys, but there's just dumb luck. I maybe it's one of those weird things. So I think when you go back to making purchases, right? If you're like, these are the same two things and you read the reviews and like this one has 2000 reviews and this one's got 25, like those are not the same number. And that's why yeah, we just right. blindly look at all of the big numbers. Like, okay, so this one's seen more storms or more people like it. But the real gist of it is, is this going to be used in the way you want it to use? Is it actually... So for me, the, the thing I research the most by far is my tech gadgets. And the way I research those is I read a lot 
and then I find nerdy uh, podcasty white dudes on YouTube and I see if they're going to use it the way I need it to be used. And if it works, like this thing right here is my favorite thing ever. This is a stream deck. Anybody that streams will have a stream deck. It's so just a macro. show and tell now? Yeah, it's my just a macro. stream deck? This is $150. I spent weeks researching it. Weeks. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure you went to the stuff like the wire cutters and like you, you mm. seek out expert advice. So, okay, so that actually brings me back to a question that I've been wanting to ask. So you, when you were walking us through the consumer to consumer purchasing model that you have experience with, you said for high stakes purchases, people will tend to seek out less like peer to peer approval and like they're, they're less okay with doing minimal research or like going to Amazon and clicking the default thing. Yeah. Is there... In your experience, is there like a price point in certain sectors where you can say like, oh yeah, if you're pricing stuff at over $2,000, people are going to start doing a lot more work before they make a decision? So no, I don't necessarily think that there is like a fast rule around price point. A lot of that is like super um, personal. Uh, a lot of the the consumers that we focused on were like young adults who don't have a lot of disposable income. So mm. even $50 can be right. a lot to a, you know, a young adult who is in college and doesn't have like money to burn. Whereas I think now I feel like we're pretty established, like $50. I'm not going to think too much about. Well, I could, I can tell you, I thought very little about paying over $50 for my Crocs. <laughs> but yeah, so I don't think that there's like a specific price point. I don't think you can say like, okay, once something gets to a hundred dollars, because you know, then you also have mm -hmm. people who are like millionaires who probably don't think much about spending two thousand um, dollars on a single purchase. So they didn't research. So the thing that constitutes high stakes in a high stakes purchase is relative to everybody's individual. Exactly. Circumstances. I mean, I, I think intuitively that makes sense, but I mean, it plays itself out in your experience as well. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, right. There also might be some people who are like deep experts in technology that don't need to spend the time researching because mm -hmm. they already have that expertise internally inherently. Yeah. They know what they're looking for. Exactly. But like maybe they would spend a lot of time looking at buying like high quality shoes because that's not an area that they're an expert in. Good point. Good point. Um, yeah. So I think it's just like, unfortunately highly personal, but like that again is like where qualitative data is like very important. Um, and talking to like the specific user base you're interested in is also very important because yeah. there, there is so many variables that go into decision-making. I think that this is for me, for the example of this stream deck, I, the Twitch people that I watched YouTube videos on taught me which one I didn't want because they showed me like, you're a much higher expert than me. That will be too much device. And that's, so I had to marry the two things because these guys endorsed the shit out of the big one. And then I watching them do it, I was like, actually, nope, it's going to take up too much space and I'm not going to utilize it. And I'll just save $25 and I can't believe I care this but but I did I wanted this to be exactly what I wanted I like my setup the way it's set up and to circle back to barbecue as we get out of here the people that are going to utilize TripAdvisor reviews are going they're not going to choose to go to Seattle over Austin but those reviews are going to dictate where they go to barbecue that night and that's going to be important to them and that's your own experience I know that for me I would probably like to go to a rundown bar watering hole and be like tell me where to go Yes. Yeah. You, I, I want to talk to some, some greasy guy or some greasy family. That's like, we live in and among the people here, right? We know exactly. the barbecue. One of, one of the locals, no question. That's so, right. I would yeah. want someone to ask me where to go eat in Sweetwater County. And I would direct them immediately to Taco John's in China garden. And um, I hope to do the same. Well, and our when I'm cousin out in the real world. dude works at the best restaurant in Sweetwater County. One of the best restaurants in the state. 
That's true. Shout out to Anthony. Yeah, shout out to Anthony. Shout out to the Nine Iron Grill. They have a Sazerac on the menu, and I did not know that anywhere in Sweetwater County would do that. That's a, and it's a baller Sazerac, too. Yeah, I mean, they make, they make some good drinks there. That's a that's 100%. a hell of a restaurant. All right, so get out of here. Best barbecue in, in Buffalo. Go. That's the um, guy's from. I don't think there is good barbecue in Buffalo. Best barbecue in Virginia, Monk's. Monk's Barbecue. Monk's Incredible barbecue. stuff. They make a, a smoked pastrami. You've had smoked brisket. It's pastrami. Oh, Chris, you went to grad school where I'm moving. What about Knoxville? Knoxville. Best barbecue in Knoxville. Hard to say. Hard to say. All right. Well, I guess we'll report back on that one. I put you on the spot. Yeah. And you're like, shit. Yeah, I have sorry. I, 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 I endorse all of them equally. Uh, I love all my Knoxville hey, restaurants. I didn't even ask. What's your... <laughs> We should have asked what your metric for best means. We didn't learn anything. <laughs> All right, do not. This is we're 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 not doing research, Callie. We're not doing any Sorry. more research. We're research. We're researched out. Thanks for joining us, though. Um, it seems like it, it, took a, it took too long to get you on. We're going to get you on again. It's one of these, next time we have someone to back. Next time we have a dumb list that someone needs to defend, you're going to be the person that we call in to defend the dumb list. Great! I can't wait to listen to all of your other episodes. Oh, um, every night. I'll send a quiz again. <laughs> Thanks, guys. All right, enough of that. I'll fix it in post.